This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Georgia discussing a young girl who suffered a tragic fate near her home. Then we'll discuss one of the only missing twins cases in the United States. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Peach State. We've all seen the movies that depict a lone young woman walking alone at night with a strange man following her in the distance. He's usually wearing a dark hoodie and waiting for the right time to make his attack. This setup is all too common, but in reality, being attacked and murdered at random by a stranger isn't very common at all. In 2020, there were just over 21,000 homicides reported in the U.S. Of these, less than 5% of victims were female. Overall, less than 10% of all homicides were believed to have been committed by a stranger. Of the female homicide victims, the vast majority were murdered by a man known to them. A family member, intimate partner, or neighbor, for example. Worldwide, the primary homicide threat to females resides in domestic contexts. I'm not telling you to roam dark alleyways at night, alone, willy-nilly, but the case I'm about to discuss shocked its town. People always want to think that an outsider is the only person who could commit such heinous acts, but in reality, it's likely to be someone much closer. In August of 2012, Hannah True Love seemed like a typical 16-year-old girl. She was a student at Gainesville High School in Gainesville, Georgia, where she had a lot of friends. She loved animals and wanted to eventually become a veterinarian. She was known for being sweet with a gentle spirit. She was nearly six feet tall and enjoyed gymnastics, music, and singing. Gymnastics? Yeah, I feel like that would make it harder. I feel like really tall. I feel like every gymnast that we see is like small, four eleven. Yeah, that's true. It would be harder. I feel like. Well, I can't. There's more legs to get over your head. Look, if I did a cartwheel right now, I would see spots for thirty minutes. Oh. So. Her parents weren't together, and she lived with her mom, Mona Harris, at the Lake Lanier Club Apartments. Those apartments are still around, but now they're called MAA Lake Lanier. Isn't that fighting? MMA. Yeah, oh, MMA. MMA. <laughs> Those are the MAA. Yeah. They live Spike Club Apartments. Oh, boy. <laughs> they lived on the second floor in the gated complex, and it's right next to Lake Lanier. There's also a wooded area that separates the lake and the apartments. So it's not like the building is butted up to the water. Right. Her father, Jeff, was still in her life, though, and she spent time with both parents. So it wasn't like she only hung out with her mom, you know. Hannah's mother, Mona, typically worked late and wouldn't arrive home until at least 8 p.m. or later. So Hannah would typically drop her stuff off in the apartment after school and then hang out with friends in the grassy area outside of the apartment complex. How old was she? 16. Okay. So she had a lot of friends that lived in the complex. So That's fun. Yeah, so they would yeah. all kind of hang out together. On August 23rd, 2012, Mona got home from work and Hannah wasn't home. As it turned out, Hannah would skip school sometimes, and Mona didn't always know where she was. The Division of Family and Children's Services also had an open case at the time involving Hannah and her mother. Oh, no. Yeah. So somebody had called. Yes. Well, okay, so Hannah had been in trouble for truancy, which basically right. means skipping school. Usually if they skip school a lot. We call it, what, DHS here? Yeah, or CPS. Yeah, yeah. so for Georgia, it's DFCS, has mm-hmm. to get involved. Mm-hmm. But DFCS had investigated claims of altercations with her mother related to Mona's drinking. The agency had identified this as a risk in the home due to repeated incidents of drunk driving. Isn't it interesting how they can get so involved in some cases and it is you see other cases like what was the one in california that they have the documentary on uh gabriel is that his name the little boy that was 
but DHS was called and had a you know open quote unquote investigation. And it's kind of the same thing with kids in the system right. in general. Some cases you're like, why isn't this being taken more seriously? And some that seem small, not that drinking and driving is good, of course, but there wasn't the counts of like... No, I know what you mean. Gabriel Hernandez. Hernandez. That, yeah. Yeah, that's familiar for sure. Not knocking DHS. No. And they're overworked. So uh, yes. maybe in his case, that's what happened. I don't know. Two days before Hannah disappeared... The case manager tried to visit Hannah at home, but Mona couldn't find her. But an investigator was able to meet with her the day she disappeared. So, they met with her at school, and she appeared to be fine. They talked about getting her math grade up so she could advance into 11th grade math. So from there, it seems like she went home after school, per usual. She dropped off her things and left the apartment around 4 p.m. She walked to the courtyard of the complex and spent the next several hours socializing with some of her friends at the picnic tables. Na neighbors remember seeing her until around 7 p.m. So when Mona got home from work, she knew Hannah had been there because that, that day's mail was tossed on the couch. Okay. She figured she was still just hanging out with friends, and she decided to take a nap. When Mona woke up a few hours later, she thought it was strange that Hannah still wasn't home. So Hannah would skip school and stuff, but she wasn't one to run away or be gone super late. It was just she didn't want to go to school, you know, kind of right. typical. So she called Jeff, Hannah's dad, to see if maybe he took her out to eat or something, and he said no. He hadn't seen or heard from her that evening. Then she called some of Hannah's friends, and no one knew where she was. At this point, around 9.30 p.m., Mona called 911 and reported Hannah missing. The police did conduct a search around the apartment, but did not find her. They were about to expand the search into the surrounding area, but a severe thunderstorm halted their plans. The worst thing yeah. they could, yeah. They searched afterward, but several hours had already passed, and it was a heavy storm. And... Mm -hmm. potentially destroyed anything that would have been of value yeah. Yeah. to any of them. Mm -hmm. The next morning, detectives went to her high school and interviewed Hannah's friends and classmates. No one knew anything, but later that evening, detectives received some news. An out-of-state veteran that was visiting his daughter in the same complex where Hannah lived was walking in the woods behind the apartments. So he had called management about a manhole cover that was missing, mm -hmm. and he knew that was super dangerous. Someone could just walk and fall into it. Or child. Yeah, yeah, so he called management, and then he was walking down there to see if they'd replaced it yet, pretty much. Yeah. So he was walking down along the ridge line. Then he spotted what he thought was a mannequin near the ravine. It's never a mannequin. It is not. As he walked closer, he realized it was the body of Hannah Truelove. Oh, no. He recognized her right away from the missing persons reports. Ugh. Hannah had died from multiple stab wounds. But, like you said, there was little physical evidence because of the rain. Right. Yeah. More than three inches of rain had fallen during the heavy rainstorm that night, causing the ravine where her body was found to fill with runoff water from the storm drains. Oh, God. So she was basically... Floating. Floating and cleaned by, by yeah. all the water. Yeah. At some point during the night, Hannah's body had become submerged in a stream of running water that had washed away any physical evidence that might have been left by her killer. Despite the fact that Hannah had been stabbed several times, there was no blood left at the scene. Her body was just clean. Investigators went door to door throughout the apartment complex, hoping to find witnesses who might have seen Hannah the previous evening, but the last confirmed sighting of her was around 7.30 p.m. No one reported seeing her heading toward the woods behind the apartment. They just saw her outside hanging with people. Detectives believed that Hannah had been killed by someone she knew. They noted that there had been a large number of residents out and about in the apartment complex, and it's summer, so it's still light outside. 
And if someone had tried to forcibly abduct her, someone would have noticed. There were just too many people outside. Well, and that's what I'm thinking. If she was there with a group of kids, mm-hmm. like she typically hung out with, then as they started to go home, it would seem like there would be one person left with her. Right. They implied that she was just, she was the last person there and they all left. That she didn't get up and go. She was just staying. So eventually it would be like, okay, she I was, was the last, by herself. I was the last one hanging out with, mm-hmm. with you. And then I went home and I left you by yourself. Yeah. Oh gosh. So they determined she most likely went into the woods willingly, not realizing she was in danger. And maybe it was someone she was hanging out with, you know, someone that was there. Well, I was going to say if she, like if you would be like, mm-hmm. hey, come follow me. I got to show you something. Right. I would go. Yeah. But then, you know, the thunderstorm and stuff. That happened though. Oh, it happened after. after. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because ha- Mona, when she went to nap, it, it was not. It was not. And right before she called police, when they were looking around the complex, it wasn't raining yet. It happened after. Yeah. So, if they had just, I don't know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. So, as investigators looked through Hannah's social media accounts, they made an alarming discovery. In the days leading up to her murder, she had posted several disturbing messages on Twitter. The first, posted at 2.03 p.m. on August 12th, said, I got me an ugly-ass stalker. Not ugly. (laughs) On August 18th, at 7.23 p.m., she tweeted, so scared right now. The day before her death, she tweeted, I need to move out of these dang apartments. Here's the thing that gets me, which I get it. She didn't mention, so she tweeted this. She didn't mention anything to her friends or family. You're a teenager, you're private, you're moody, but no one asked her about her tweets. So did they see them? Yeah. They said, her friends said they saw the tweets, but they never asked her about them because they just didn't think she was serious. Maybe she was one of those posters that just post attention stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, and she's 16. I mean, everything's dramatic. I don't want to assume. But yeah, when you're 16, everything is dramatic. So maybe they were just kind of like, yeah, but yeah, she didn't mention a thing to anybody. Her parents didn't know about the tweets. And even her dad said he went back to school shopping with her the weekend before. And she seemed totally fine, and he said that if she was scared about living there, she would have been more than welcome to move into his home in Jackson County. But to that, I say, she had friends at this apartment complex, even if she was scared. That's a big thing to move to a different county. Well, and it's a big thing when you're 16 to move from your mom's to just your dad's. Oh, yeah. I mean... I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what their relationship was like, but Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have... Yeah. That's a big deal to change completely where you're living. Yeah. So I can see why she wouldn't have told her parents. Detectives said that the tweets had nothing to do with her murder. And they couldn't find any evidence to substantiate her stalker claim. The reports didn't elaborate on how they came to this conclusion, but for whatever reason, they were just like, no, this isn't anything. I wish I knew why they said that. So Hannah mostly communicated with her friends by using her Nintendo DS. Wait. I don't even know. You can communicate with... I don't know what that is. I don't know. I'm thinking of a Switch. I was like, my kid has a Switch. Is he talking to people (laughs) on there? (laughs) I don't know what a DS is. I'm not going to lie. I think it's just... But I know you can on Xbox and stuff like that. So I'm assuming it's similar. Yeah. Where, yeah, I have never even thought about talking to my friends on... So investigators went through all of her messages on there and found nothing strange. Lieutenant Dan Franklin said that he's fairly confident that Hannah was killed at the spot where she was found. The area was secluded and surrounded by trees, but still he said too many people were outside of the apartments, and he thinks it's likely someone saw or heard something. Mm -hmm. And he believes she went to the spot willingly and was likely with someone she knew. Two weeks after the murder, officials announced that they were trying to locate a car that had been seen at Lanier Lake Club apartment complex on the evening she was killed. The car they were seeking was described as being a light silver four-door sedan, possibly a Dodge or Chevrolet, with significant front-end damage. The driver's door was a different color than the rest of the car, possibly white or a lighter silver. 
There had been three people in the car, and a witness recalled seeing a male get out of the back seat and walk around the apartment. About 15 minutes later, this male walked past the witness again, heading in the direction of the wooded area behind the apartments. At that time, Hannah had been walking about 15 steps behind him, according to this witness. It's unclear if she was following him or just she happened to be walking in the same direction. Detectives noted that the occupants of the car were not considered suspects in the murder. Hannah was seen by herself an hour after the car had left. Police believe the occupants of the car may have witnessed something, though, that might be of use, so they don't believe that those people committed murder, but that they might know something. Mm-hmm. They might know where she was going. Right. Because they were the last people to see her alive. And this is really ominous, but detectives believe there may have been, quote, several people present <gasps> when Hannah was killed. Oh, no. And Hannah's parents agree with them. Why? Why do they think that? They have not elaborated at all. Oh, no, I don't love that. I know. So they said it's quite possible there were witnesses who did not participate in the murder. But what? But may have been frightened into silence. He said, Lieutenant Franklin told the Gainesville Times that they have a suspect but they feel like there's not enough evidence for a conviction. He said that he's confident in knowing who is responsible for her death, and they were a suspect from the very beginning. But this is what drives me crazy. To maintain the integrity of the case, he has not given out very many details at all, which I get. But I'm like, what? You know who did this? And they haven't talked, and several people might have been there, and no one's, no one's coming forward? And there could be other teenagers not talking. I don't know. I can't keep a secret. I want to call this guy and be like, just yeah. tell me. Please just I, tell me. Yeah. I, no. <sighs> and it, I just find it hard to believe if several people are present and no one has told. Somebody someone, you always know, talks. No one of those people has told. All we know is it's a male suspect who Hannah knew before her murder. This man, they've interviewed him several times keeps maintaining his innocence, and there's not enough evidence to move the case along. So they pretty much have no physical evidence. Hannah's mother, Mona, passed away in August of 2022, just a few weeks before the 10-year anniversary of Hannah's murder. Lieutenant Franklin is still the lead investigator on Hannah's case, and he believes the case will only be solved if someone comes forward with new information the killer confesses, or there's a breakthrough in DNA technology. Anyone with information about the case or the silver car in question is urged to contact the Hall County tip line at 770-503-3232 or the GBI tip line at 800-597-8477. And of course, we'll add that information in our show notes. This is one of those things multiple people know about it. And it's just need to start talking. And it's still just unsolved. Still, yeah. My case is unsolved too. Oh, wow. And I also have the same phone numbers (laughs) that you just read off. Man, we need to call that county and be like, something's going on here. Can we talk to y'all about this? If someone came to you, let's say they weren't your best friend, but they came to you and said, my friend so-and-so murdered a guy. Even if it was my best friend. Would you be like, wait, what? I'm still going to tell. Well, I would be like, what? What are you talking about? Give me more information. I would try to get more information out of them. Because I feel like a lot of times people think that, oh, sure. Yeah, okay. I would believe anybody. I think anybody's capable of murder. Same. I would not be surprised of anyone. No, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't guess I would either, but I also believe in Bigfoot and aliens. And so <laughs> I think I'm not the target audience. Okay. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. So you have a cold case too. I do. In Georgia, just like yours. Just like, what a coincidence. <laughs> I'm intrigued. You know, I love a cold case. I do not. I try not to cover them because they drive me insane. Well, I'm not, I don't love the thing. I know exist, what you mean. But yeah, I, 
You like, I want to solve the problem. You like to solve them. So, Augusta, Georgia. Ooh. Home of the Masters. I've been there. To the Masters? No, to Augusta. I was like, holy shit. So, you know, the Masters is the Super Bowl of golf. Mm-hmm. Very exclusive. Also, no women have played it. Really? Yeah. Because well, it's... We hate that then. Right. <laughs> Green jackets, uber money, Ew. all the things. Blech. So... And you don't get to go watch it. It's a lottery to even go and stand around and watch somebody play golf. I truly know absolutely nothing about golf except, no, I don't know anything. And also, I know it's called a club. After the Masters, they tear up all the greens and will replant it for like the next year. She's she's looking at me like I'm crazy. I didn't know that either, I don't. but I was mm-hmm. talking about this case with Max's dad and he was telling me. Is he the- a golfer? Oh, girl. He's a member of every country club. Oh, man. He plays golf, loves all, all things golf. And he was telling me how crazy exclusive the Masters is. And like, he would love to go watch it play, Ugh. but he's never been. Anyways. Oh, boy. I'm like, well, you're not going this year either, <laughs> sir. <laughs> okay. So the other side of town is the way less appealing side of Augusta where the poverty rate soars. So you've got the rich part of town and the poor part of town, and they are separated by Broad Street. So the poor side of town is the area where the Millbrook twins lived. 15-year-old Jeanette and Dunette Millbrook who were born April 2nd, 1974, to single mother Louise. They were fraternal twins, and they were born, like, right in the middle of seven children. Wow. They had totally different personalities, like most siblings do. Danette was very protective of Jeanette, and Jeanette was the more quiet and shy one where Danette was outgoing and talked to anybody. Hmm. So the girls were homebodies. They liked hanging out around the house and playing with their friends, siblings, and cousins. They had a huge extended family, and they were all pretty close. So on Sunday, March 18th, 1990, the girls attended church and then walked to Church's Chicken, which was around a half a mile away from their apartment, to pick up lunch for their family. This was around 1 o'clock. And when they returned, they told their mom that a white van had followed them several miles. After they ate lunch, they decided to walk over to their godfather's house, which was around two miles away, to borrow some money. So they had just moved to this apartment off of Olive Road, and they had to take public transportation to their school, um, Lucy Lane High School, because the school bus didn't run that far to their apartment. Hmm. So their godfather gives them enough money for the week and some extra for some snacks. So the girls head back towards their house, stop by their cousin's house to see if she would walk home with them. And their aunt said, no, it's too late. They can play tomorrow. So then they go to their sister's house to ask if she would walk with them. And she says, no, she had a newborn baby and, you know, she wasn't going to be out walking with this baby. Mm -hmm. So but it seems like something definitely spooked them. Mm-hmm. So they head out and they stop by a gas station on the corner of 12th Street and Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard and grab some treats before they head the rest of the way home. A woman named Miss Gloria was working and she did know the girls. It was a neighborhood gas station. People were always in and out and she knew everybody. So they head out. And disappear into thin air. No one has seen them since. They walked out of the gas station. And she, Miss Gloria, was, you know, doing something with the, you know, cash register, whatever. Mm -hmm. And looked back outside and didn't see them. So, when they didn't return home, after a few hours, their family began to search for them. Danette had seizures and did not have any of her medication with her. They go to the police department and tell them, you know, Jeanette was wearing a blue pullover shirt over a white turtleneck with a beige skirt. She had white socks on and white sneakers. At the time, 
that this happened. She was 5'4", 125 pounds. Danette was wearing a white shirt with Mickey Mouse on it, white jeans and black shoes, and was around 5'6", 130 pounds. Danette um, was bow-legged. Both girls had pierced ears, shoulder-length hair styled in jerry curls, and both had a scar near their navel from a surgery that they had after right after birth. Oh, okay. I was about to say they both had a surgery. Yeah. Okay. So they go to the police station. They're given this whole report to the cops. What do you think the police told them? It was a runaway situation. Also that, but you have to wait 24 hours oh. before you report someone missing. Yeah. And the police assumed they were runaways, mm-hmm. which is infuriating. They had no reason to run away. They left no note. They had taken nothing with them. No one in their family thought that they had ran away. They had no money. All they had was the $20 they borrowed for bus fare to get back and forth to school. Mm. And if it wouldn't have been for their family going door to door around their neighborhood looking, Mm -hmm. you know, for any signs or anything, none of their friends or neighbors would have even known that they were missing. Because the police never came out and asked anyone any questions Mm. or brought anyone in for questioning. Oh, my gosh. The lead detective never came out. He said he believed that their mother knew exactly where they were. And he didn't believe the story that she was telling them. Why would she call them and make up a story? Call them. She went to the police department and made a report. Why would she do that? He said, you know exactly where they are. They don't want to come home. He alleged that one of the girls was pregnant and had went into hiding and the other one followed. What? Why would, did he know them personally? No, there was no basis for this. He had no evidence. It was either a rumor that he had heard or one that he had made of himself. Their older sister was a teen and had just had a baby. So it's not like they thought their parents were going to kill them if one of them got pregnant. They also didn't have boyfriends. They went to the skating ring with their cousins and friends, and that was it. They weren't ever seen hanging out with boys. They weren't troublemakers at school. There was no reason for basically you just slandering these teenagers. And still, even so, let's say maybe they ran away. I don't think they did, but look for them anyway. They're teenagers. Right. Why, why you don't get you? to just run away. Yeah, you have to be in your house. You're not a legal-aged adult. You can't run away. Right. Why do they not? I don't know. That just frustrates me. It's like, just assume they didn't run away until you have evidence that they did. So the bottom line is, these were black teenage girls who lived on the wrong side of Augusta, not the rich side, and the police seem to have white woman syndrome. You know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. where... If they are not from an upper middle class family, an attractive blonde hair, blue eyed type girls, Mm -hmm. then the police and media really don't give a shit. Yeah. And that's unfortunately very common and infuriates me like my neck is getting red. Mm -hmm. There was a small little blip on the news, on the local news right after it happened. But other than that, nothing. Wow. So a few years later... In 1993, the case was officially closed. According to police, the girls turned 17, which meant that even if they were found at this point, they couldn't force them to come home. So they closed the case. Okay, you don't have to force them, but find them. Oh my God. I've never heard of this in my life, of a case being closed, a missing persons case being closed. Just because they're of age. They're still missing and they're still a person. There are children that have been missing for 20 years. Adults can be missing. Hello, silver alerts. So the information that the police had in their file was also all wrong. The girls' names and birth dates were wrong. They had their birth dates as April 7th. Their birthday was April 2nd. Their name was Millbrook, not Millbrooks. It's just lazy police work or none at all. So they closed the case. There was no interest. So when this detective is actually interviewed later, he is completely uninterested in this case. He moved on to a teaching position in 1994. 
1996, the Richmond County Sheriff's Office merged with the Augusta Police Department. So it seemed like he just wanted to close this case before he left. Hmm. So he closed it. And um, since it was closed, the file was destroyed. Their mother would call the police department over and over despite the case being closed to see if anyone had come forward or if they had found anything. And they never had anything to tell her. So eventually she just stopped calling. Their little sister took over when she was old enough, you know, calling and trying to get information. And at one point she was told that her sisters had been taken away by Child Protective Services. Which made no sense. No, I mean, you wouldn't be told. Well, they were, there were five other children in the house and they weren't the youngest. They wouldn't have just no. left the other children. Turns out this was misinformation. Child Protective Services never even had a case on her mother that it was another family member Bloody and they Lord. got them mixed up. Oh my God. This is. <laughs> yeah. So this sister also tried to get the FBI involved. No luck. They couldn't get media involved either. They contacted Oprah, Montel Williams, and America's Most Wanted. With no luck, the Richmond Police Department had officially closed the case and would not help any of these people when they reached out to them. They said the case is closed. And the family's like, well, the only way to get the case opened back up is to bring attention to it. And how do we do that? Media. So... It's just insane. It wouldn't be until 2013 when a new sheriff was elected that the case would be reopened. Wow. He agreed to open it back up after being contacted by the Millbrook family. Persistency. Yeah. I mean, they're the only ones fighting for their Mm -hmm. siblings and their their Mm -hmm. children. So he collects DNA from their mom so he would have it on file. He had age progression photos drawn up for both girls and released to the public. He also got their social security numbers and checked them to see if there was any activity. The media finally gets involved. The original police report was lost. So this new detective basically was starting from scratch. So he looked at the missing and exploited children's database for the girls file only to find out it did not exist. Their names had been taken off. Someone from the police department... What? It's like it's personal to them. ...had called and removed their names and all information without letting anyone know. Typically, there is a reason listed as to why they are being removed, and there was nothing entered. Whoever called told them that the girls had been found. That is, I don't even, I didn't know this, but the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children was established in 1984. And from that point forward, anytime your child goes missing, you can contact them and they will enter your child's information into their database Regardless of what your local police department tells you or how long they have been missing, call them and they'll put all of their information in there. It doesn't matter if the police are like, oh, well, they ran away. They've got a file on them. It's in the database. So this new detective was quoted as saying, the way this case was closed was based on hearsay. And the mysterious closing of the case is very unsettling. These girls never showed up on anyone's radar. They never even investigated. No one knew they should be on the radar. No one knew they were missing. So after that, the case just kind of goes cold again. And the girls' families, you know, keep keep trying to put it in the spotlight. Man. Trying to get it out there. And then in 2017, the Fall Line podcast did a seven-part series about the case. So from 91 until 2013, nobody was looking for these girls except for their sister and their mother. So this podcast eventually led to Oxygen making a documentary about the Millbrook twins. And if you haven't listened to this podcast or watched this documentary, I haven't. I highly recommend both of them. Wow. So 
The Richmond police definitely pushed back when this started blowing up in the podcast world. Oh, yeah, they look bad. (laughs) The word intimidation was Uh used by one of the podcasters in reference to a police lieutenant threatening her. Mm -mm. They weren't allowed to ask any questions. And the only file they had on the twins' disappearance was a very, very small one. Pathetic. It had a one-page incident report and two news stories from 2013. That's it. There were no dental records, no school records. The Department of Juvenile Justice had no record of them. The GBI was never involved. The FBI never involved. The school has the girls' records, but will not release them to the mother. Oh, my gosh. When they asked, why will you not release them to us? The school said, go ask your podcast girls. What? The girls that do the fall line, the podcasters. That was what they told them. Go ask them. Have them explain it to you. So, the Center for Missing and Exploited Children has to document who called them and say that the girls were found, but they will not release that document or information to the family. We know it's that that cop. I mean, come on. So... There's, I mean, there's nothing on this girls, on these girls. This case has literally been pieced together by podcasters, Laura Norton and Brooke Hargrove. They did start a fundraiser to help the family out with a reward for information. The Richmond police refuses to help or advertise this reward. They do not match any of the the donations that are given. Even so though messed up. Even though they match donations from But they reopened it, right? No. Oh, I thought when the new Well, the new detective was, you know, he agreed well, I guess you're right. He did agree to open it back up and look at stuff, but they're not actively investigating not, it. It's and open. they're not supporting Right. Okay. Whatever these two women that are that have this podcast find, they sent to the police department. They're the ones doing the footwork. What do you do, though, if the police doesn't care? It right. doesn't even... Right. Don't give up on your child, you Man. know? They do not give a single fuck about these girls, the, the police department. It's almost personal, and it makes no sense. So the police department has since made a statement saying they will not be making any more statements about the Millbrook case ever. Why would you say that? Ever. What if they they find their skeletal remains? They're not going to, I mean. Mm. So to this day, we do not know what happened to these girls. There is no evidence. There has been nothing found. Rumors of them being seen with a white man in a truck have no leads. The girl's father, who was not in their life, John Milbrook, would not give DNA samples when asked when the case was reopened in 2013. He also told his oldest daughter, who has since passed away, to not provide any of her DNA either. It's just infuriating. The whole case is. Well, I I guess from his perspective, maybe he thought they, because the the cops seem shady, I'm just going to say it, that maybe he thought they might try to frame him. You know what I mean? Right. Or something. So I can can see why someone wouldn't want to give him. Well, I'm not a give my DNA kind of person. You know that. Because how could you trust this police force at this point? But I feel like if my my child was missing. It's just one of those. But these girls did not just vanish into thin air. No, No. And it seems like if anything is ever done about this case or if it gets solved it's gonna be from listeners like you guys or podcasters like Lacey and I who will not just let things fucking go we're not gonna let it fall through the cracks like we're gonna keep digging we're gonna keep looking for Mm -hmm. answers and so if you have any information on this case um you can visit the Millbrook twins which is a website I will I've never heard of this or call 404 Five nine zero two nine seven five. There is also an anonymous tip line at one eight six six nine three nine five zero five zero. The reward is now up to fifty thousand dollars. Jeez, which was raised by listeners like you guys who donated money 
and people who matched it and other podcasters who donated to try to get some answers for this family. And we've said it before, but I'll say it again, just because you think something is small and insignificant and means nothing doesn't mean it's nothing. It could be the thing that cracks the case that breaks it wide open or gives people a new lead to follow. You know what I mean? Totally. So, um, Joseph Patrick Washington was also active in the girl's neighborhood. And some believe that he may have been involved in their disappearance. He was sentenced to 17 consecutive life sentences in 95 for, um, abductions and sexual assaults of five women murdering two of those, Mm. which is awful. He faced the death penalty in the murder of Marilyn Denise Kelly and was suspected in the murder of Loretta Dukes, but he died in 1999 before his trial started. So some think maybe he did it, but the fall line and the family feel like it may be someone in or near the Bethlehem Laney Walker neighborhoods. Hmm. Maybe they know some, somebody knows something. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's my case. Man. I never heard of it either, but then once I didn't listen to the fall line, I, know I didn't about either. It, I know about yeah. it. Yeah, but I started listening to it after I figured out this was the case I was uh-huh. going to do. And I didn't finish it all because it's seven parts and I didn't have time, but I'm going to. And it's, I go between, I teeter back and forth between. Crying as a mother and being completely enraged at the police department. And if you think that the socioeconomic status Mm -hmm. did not play a part in the police involvement, I don't care what you think. You're wrong because it definitely fucking does. Yeah, it does. It does. I'm sure that happens here all the time in Little Rock. I, am, I mean, I know we we know, we know it, it does. happens. Yeah. So I mean, it just it fucking sucks, and something's going on. Why do you want this case closed? Why do you not want to talk about that it? That almost makes them look fishy. Uh, I don't know. Hundred percent. Just pointing that out. It's like that show I just watched that you told me about when it turned. Yeah, it's something that seems makes suspicious. me think. Anyways. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go down a whole rabbit well, hole and slander somebody if we don't switch gears (laughs) well i was just thinking that i saw on facebook someone was asking about pot true crime podcast recommendations but they don't want to listen to a podcast that bashes the police because their husband's a police officer or something i don't remember why and i'm like well i don't think any podcasts i mean maybe someone out there it's not their goal to bash no. police as a whole no but you if you there's some dirty cops if you if think you there's not to true crime you know there are entire departments that are corrupt there are a hundred percent yeah we're just like oh yeah let's just no. we don't have a vendetta against the police no i but, work at a hospital there are shitty doctors yeah they're in any profession i'm yeah i'm like if you think that nobody all cops yeah. are good because you're married to one that's you're, insane that's insane i'm married to a doctor and i know of some really freaking bad doctors and I wouldn't go to in a thousand well, years. I'm just saying, there's no. someone terrible. Max's dad's a judge. And- Let's not go over there. <laughs> there are some saying, shitty just judges like, out there. I, I was. I didn't comment. I'm just like, okay, if you if you want to find a podcast that says the police are perfect all the time and they do great no, jobs all the you. time, who? What podcast? I don't. Is? I can't that name one. Exist. Can't name one. Don't even get me started on John Renee Ramsey. I mean, John. <laughs> There's trampling. They probably were square dancing on the evidence. I mean, sorry, that was a tangent, but for real, like whatever. What the fuck ever. What were? Do you have anything to say? No, (laughs) no. Well, I will tell you this. I did not go to the Bigfoot Festival because it rained. It freaking rained. I'm so over the enough with the rain. (laughs) I know, but so I'll have to hit up Monster Mart on my Monster Mart. Yeah, it's like a gas station. Oh, yeah, Remember? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to hit that up when I go on my ghosty shit road trip number two to Louisiana. So instead, Max and I went flea marketing. I saw that. Oh, well, I saw it on your story. Where did you go? We went to BB, which oh, is about okay. maybe 15 minutes from where we live. And spent all day 
at these giant warehouse flea markets. I love that. We had the best time. I found some really cool shit that I wanted. Well, I wanted to get a bunch more stuff, but Max vetoed it. I was getting pictures and stuff, and he's like, Mom, that is haunted, and would oh take it. Oh, my God. He would that's take your it, child. He would take it out of my buggy and go put it back on the that's wall. That's haunted. I was like, no. Or he'd say, Mom, do not pick that up. So, oh my God. I did respect his opinion since he also lives in the house. <laughs> but I did get those two bookends. Those are pretty. That those I posted. Nice. Yeah. They're like this tall and they're marble. Like I have to pick them up with two hands. Oh, man. $5. Some flea markets in the middle of nowhere are so expensive. I know. Well, this one had some shit that I was like, girl, I'm not paying that much for that. But I did get those and... I'm completely in love with them. and oh, I love a flea market. It's so funny because um, I sent a picture of them to, to our friend Tim, and he said, ooh, girl, I love those. I want them when you die. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, according to Max, he thinks these have bad juju, so that may be sooner than later. Oh, my later. gosh. If anything weird happens, he might get know, them sooner. I know. Um, Things get weird. So I was laughing. I did get a lamp. I got some picture frames. Nice. Max got some baseball cards. I mean, I just love flea markets. I and do, too. Goodwill and thrift shops and all the things. Me, too. So, anyways, what did you do? Y'all watch Scream. Yes. 27 or whatever. And I liked it. I need more death. I got the killer right. Well, I got, well, I'm never mind. I'm not going to spoil it. Don't you spoil it. it. But I got the killer mostly right. <laughs> I, you know, we went to the movies to see it and you said, no, you didn't want to join us. Remember I text you. Wasn't it a morning? It was like 11. Uh, I was probably, no, I don't know. You were probably I don't asleep. Know. It was a rainy day. Maybe that. And we were going like, at like 11 and nah, you were like, this is not for I me. I don't remember, but yeah, no. Um, I also, I really want to watch The Evil Dead Rise. I'm going to need you to get your life together and watch this with me. Is that in theaters right now? Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's the super. I was out of town when you wanted to go see it the last scary time. Scary looking one. I may just have to put my big girl paintings on and watch it by myself. I don't know, though. Mm-hmm. I may be too nervous. I just wish they would come out sooner. Stream. Because I need to pee during movies. So I prefer watching movies at my house. I don't know. Oh, we have patrons. <gasps> Yay! Sorry, I usually mention that first. Let's see. Three, two, four? I don't know. So we have Casey G. from Arkansas. <gasps> Thanks, Casey. Thank you, Casey. And we have Jen B. from Arkansas. Two Arkansas? I don't, do y'all know each other? Everyone here? No. But to both of you, we're going to be doing true crime trivia on, what is it? Thursday, let's see, the 18th at Wine Wine U in Fayetteville. And come play. If you're not going to the true crime fest, We'd love to see you there, but if you're not, no biggie. Yeah. Come hang out with us at Trivia or just drink wine and watch us make fools of ourselves because we don't know what we're doing. We've never hosted any event before. It could be a 10. It could also be a zero. We don't know. But I will say this. We have curated these questions. We've spent some time on it. I want to play. I think think, they're good good questions. It's a mix. Some are hard. Some are really easy. But, you know, there's going to be a mix of people. So we can't just make them all hard. They, I mean... Not to suck my own nipple, but they are really <laughs> good questions. Maybe we'll have to do a, I don't know. We're definitely going to keep that paperwork forever. Yes, forever. Uh, oh, and Dovey from last week. Remember, we were like, oh, she's a, she just renewed it. Well, yeah. no, she wasn't a patron. Oh. She sent us cocktails before. Oh, okay. That name is just so unique that it's I very, was yeah. like, yeah. So Dovey is from Alabama. I haven't put her pin in yet, but first... First Alabama patron. And what is that, an Alabaman? An Al- an, yeah, I guess so. Sure. An Alabaman. An Alabaman. And she also told us about like two or three cases. So I'm definitely going to have to Put those, bookmark those because yes. for any state, give me all your suggestions. And we got eight cocktails from our patron, Justin W. from Ohio. Holy shit. I'm going to be smashed. Smashly. <laughs> so he wrote a really sweet message. That's the one I screenshot and sent to you. And maybe we teared up. It was, it was, it very, was very sweet, sweet and heartfelt. We appreciate Thank that. Thank you for the words, the kind words, and, and for the drinks. <laughs> yes. 
I'm going to have to have some of those drinks this weekend. Yes. And I'll take a picture. Yes. That's a good idea for me. I'm excited. When are you? Well, this will go out after. So we can talk about it. Yeah. I'm leaving Friday. leaving Friday. Friday morning. Coming back Sunday. Sunday. Yes. Take all the pictures. You are going to be at T-Swift. Oh, I'm seeing mother Taylor Swift. <laughs> I mean, you're older than her, but it doesn't matter. Well. If only I was born in 1989. Girl, speaking of mother, Mother's Day is coming up. Yep. Next weekend. Mm-hmm. So uh, we appreciate you all and all that you do. Happy early Mother's oh, Day yeah. to all the moms, bonus moms, pet moms, soon-to-be moms, foster moms, adoptive moms, or dads that play both roles yeah we see you we appreciate you all the things that's nice to include so in the spirit of mother's day according to baby gaga and wait ivy crumpied baby gaga. baby gaga okay which is super <laughs> cute and ivy crumpied here's a list of the worst mothers ever Lacey looks shocked diane downs no, she didn't make the list. But yeah, Diane Downs. So in no particular order, Dee Dee Blanchard. You know, she was uh, Gypsy Rose Munchausen's yes. that poisoned her kid. Oh, Casey Anthony's going to be on there. Casey Anthony. Little weasel. Kate Gosling made the list. Oh, come on. Kate and eight. Okay, like I also don't think she's a great mom. But if Diane Downs is not on, stop. Well, there was like a list of 50. I oh, just like okay, okay, spor- fair enough. Sporadically, they don't all have to, I guess, yeah. murder yeah. people. But um, yeah, some of these are just like funny. Yeah, um, Heather Martin, who did awful pranks on her children and would post them on know. social media. I haven't heard of her either, but I looked her up, and she's a shithead. I don't know who that is. Mm-mm. Well, I didn't know it either, and then I looked her up, and like I said, she's a shithead. Would literally make her children scream and cry out of fear and think it was hilarious and post pictures. Don't do that. You fucking asshole. Yeah. So Farrah Abrams. Teen mom. Yeah. I watched that back in the day. Octomom made the list. Oh boy. Um, Janelle Evans. Another teen mom made the list. I didn't watch that season. Casey Anthony. Mama June. Oh yeah. She's not a great mom. Andrea Yates. Yeah. Um, Susan Smith and Patricia Krenzel, who's a New Jersey mom, who made her five-year-old lay in the tanning bed. I was about to say tan mom. Yes, she's the tan mom. Yes. So. Oh my gosh. There's a ton of more of them on here, but you get the gist. Kiss your mamas if they're not complete assholes like these moms. And, uh. Yikes. It could always, yeah, it could yeah, be worse, it could always I guess, be worse. unless your mother's on that list. <laughs> well, yeah, unless your worse. Well, it could be worse. So, anyways, All right. you should pay for your mom to join our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> for a nice gift. <laughs> Ta-da! Uh, bye! Bye!